Hello there, it's Chloe butting in before the episode really starts to tell you that I'm on the hunt for some great guests to interview for the show. If you own or work at a retailer who sells online and you have an interesting e-commerce angle you'd like to share with our listeners, then I would love for you to apply to be a guest on the show. Maybe you've just done a really cool marketing test, your product is groundbreaking, or you've nailed one of those tricky little omnichannel challenges. Well, we interview retailers from around the world who've done such things, retailers who have annual sales from just £50,000 up to many, many millions. Applying is super simple. Just go to ecommercemasterplan.com forward slash guest, fill in the short form. There's only five questions. Most of them are about who you are. And then the difficult one in inverted commas is to tell me why you think you make a great guest, which hopefully shouldn't be too taxing. Go on, it won't take you very long. I'd love to chat to you if you think you're a candidate and um, just head to ecommercemasterplan.com forward slash guest and get your application in today. It's the e-commerce master plan podcast here to help you solve your marketing problems and grow your e-commerce business. Cutting through the hype to bring you inspiration and advice from the e-commerce sector and beyond. Here's your host, Chloe Thomas. Hello and welcome to our latest podcast. I'm Chloe and it is great to have you listening. In today's episode, we get into the world of UX, that's user experience, and look at how you can go about improving the user experience on your website to increase your sales. Now, without the sponsors, the podcast wouldn't be possible. So please do take a moment to check them out. This episode is brought to you by SendPro Online from Pitney Bowes. Save time and money no matter what you ship or mail with the SendPro Online software. Print shipping labels and stamps right from your desk and access discounted rates for as low as $4.99 per month. Try it free for 30 days and get a free £10 scale when you visit pb.com forward slash masterplan. That's pb.com slash masterplan. And now to introduce today's guest expert. Matt Isherwood is the author of Designing E-Commerce Websites, 66 Guidelines, a UX design handbook for great online shops. Over the years, Matt's worked at the BBC on One Fine Stay and now specialises in working with growing startups. If this all sounds a little familiar, it's because back in 2017, we had Matt on the show, episode 111, to talk about the first edition of this book. Now in edition number two, it's grown from 54 guidelines lines to 66. So it's going to be well worth getting your hands on edition number two. Hello, Matt. Hi, Chloe. How are you doing? Yeah, very good. Thank you. Thanks. It was great to be chatting to you again. Um, And I've just given our listeners kind of like a little overview of of why you're on the show today. But since we last caught up back in 2017, how have things changed in your e-commerce world? How have things been? Uh, So not hugely. I guess I'm continuing to do a similar thing I was doing back then, which is UX design for uh, yeah, a lot of growing startups and now a few bigger clients as well. And generally that means researching their existing website, understanding what real users are actually doing on there and then making suggestions, for redesigns, how we can improve it, generally fix problems and issues with it. I guess one of the major changes is everything is a lot more mobile. I guess this is a theme you see more and more, but it is just impressive looking at the analytics of a lot of these sites that I work with just you know, it's regularly hitting like 70% mobile traffic on a lot of these kind of sites. So everything really is mobile first. And then, yeah, on top of that, I've been working on, uh, yeah, the second edition of my book. 
And what, what's led you to create edition number two? Was it the fact that there were more things you needed to add in because of what, what you've seen and learned over the last couple of years? Yeah, that was definitely a factor. So I guess the thing with the first version of the book, so I've self-published it and I saw the first version very much being someone who's worked in the web for a long, for all my career, I very much saw it as kind of a beta release and something to put out there and learn from and see what worked, what didn't. And, you know, I think in anyone who's written anything, which I know you have, you pretty much as soon as you release something, you instantly see a hundred ways you can improve it. Um, so, so that's part of it. So that motivation to think, right, I can do a better job. I've learned more. I kind of end up almost rewriting everything as well, just trying to make these things as clear as possible, trying to illustrate the points as clear as possible. And then, yeah, adding more content. So I've learned a few more bits. Also adding further reading to everything. So one thing I just wanted to show that on, so with every guideline in the book, there's an hour further reading link. So if you're really interested in that area, you can go off and learn more. Um, I just wanted to show it as kind of all based on, you know, not just me saying this, there is other things to back it up and more that you can get out of it. And so the book can start as a good starting point and a beginner's guide to understand how you design an e-commerce website, but also can be a jumping off point to really go deeper and learn a lot more if you want to. And I guess, you know, like you said, you had the beta version, then you've you've improved it with this one. It's from my experience of writing books is I don't think as an author, you're ever a hundred percent happy with the book you publish. But if you were to try and be a hundred percent happy with that book, it would never get published. So you, (laughs) you have to stop at some point and go, actually this, this should be out there. Nothing's wrong with it. I just need to get it out there. So as it can actually help people, which was the whole point of writing the book in the first place. Yeah, exactly. And I guess the other thing, being someone, if you're involved in a subject area a lot more, you can get really particular about making sure everything's exactly right. And you realise, actually, it's still really valuable to people who are beginners and don't know anything about this. So you can get carried away and making sure everything's perfect. But yeah, I'd say, yeah, it's hard to be 100%. I'm definitely uh, over 90% happy with this thing. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I think I think you have to at least be 90% happy. Yeah, yeah, well over that now. But I'm not planning on touching it for a while. I'm very happy <laughs> with how it is to put out there. And I think it's a big improvement on the last one, but I think it should hold its own for a few years now. I'm sure it will. Well, look, one of the reasons you, you've re, rewritten it, you've created the second edition, is because things have changed. So um, so what's new? Um, yeah, a few things. Like I say, mobile coming into its own, really, and going from just like a thing that a few, even a few years ago people were talking about as a channel that people would, you know, users are going to come on it, but they won't buy on that. They'll still buy on their desktop. Well, now they're buying on their mobiles as well, as much as anything. And so I've got in a few tips that are kind of related to that, some not so. Um, an interesting one as well that's maybe less related to the mobile thing is the role of video in e-commerce. You see that as another sort of trend of people adding, trying to put video and that extra value into their sites, but maybe getting it a bit wrong. So, for example, on landing pages, I've worked with some sites who on their landing page or their homepage, they're sort of sticking front and center a video that requires that a big video that's maybe quite long that explains a lot about the brand or a lot about the products are on offer, but it requires the user to click it. And of all the sort of sites I've re- done research on, so rarely do users ever click a longish video on a homepage because at that point they're just in the mode of, I just want to find out what you do. I just want to find out, are you the right site for me? I just want to get to the next step. It's very much an introductory experience. And so video that works well on a homepage, but the sites I've seen pull it off well, just use those kind of 10, 15 second ones that are just looping, auto-playing, quickly giving the user a sense of something. And maybe if they can, if you you can explain a product that quickly, that's great. But it's really about setting the scene at that stage. The time to use more detailed video is in 
uh, product details pages where people will click and will or tap and will learn a bit more because at that point they're a bit more bought in a bit more engaged into the product they're interested in and want to actually learn about uh, how it works and all of its features that that kind of side of video because often if i've if i've got someone who's thinking about doing video i will suggest they don't try and create the perfect brand explainer video um, as their first attempt, because those are so hard to create. Whereas a quick video that explains your product is so much easier to create. And if what you're saying is where video has impact is in those easier to create videos that are actually about the product, then that's kind, it's kind of a win-win, isn't it? You get to be a bit lazy on the video production side and do the easy stuff first, and it makes the best impact in terms of UX. Yeah, I think so. I think you're right. Uh, yeah, because you can end up needing a big budget to do something that's really gloriously shows the vision you want but when you're just showing how a product works that has instant understandable value especially if your product is in any way a bit fiddly and hard to show you know through still images and gets there's a benefit to showing it actually working like video can really come into its own and another little tip around video that a lot of people just don't do is they'll just have a play button on the video without telling people how long the video is i think it's still really important just to include make sure the timestamp is shown because one of the fears people have about clicking something is it's a commit any click on the web as small as this might sound, but we will do it as users. Any click on a website, particularly a new website you've gone onto, is a commitment and a little bit of a leap into the dark. And so if you don't know how long it is, you might be clicking play on something that's 10 minutes and you're like, oh, I'm not going to watch that. Whereas if you can see, oh, it's only a 30-second or a minute-long video, you should increase the chances of people actually clicking play. I love that extra little mini bonus tip there, but one which I suspect makes a huge, huge, huge impact. Yeah, really small thing, really easy to do. So. so you mentioned about how people are using video badly. Would you say, though, that video is one of the things that ought to be on our 2019 to-do lists to at least investigate and see if there's a place for it? So I think it's in its early stages, but I think we're obviously now seeing generations of people who are super comfortable with video uh you know social media auto playing videos and things and the likes of snapchat and instagram videos becoming a huge part of it so it's it's there it's part of the web landscape it's going to be an important thing it's just think about how it can actually add value and isn't too much of a kind of big sort of grand enterprise for yourself just because a lot of these videos that people interact with every day are actually really practical and are just doing things that are you know solving a need not trying to be a Hollywood blockbuster or something. You know? Well, yeah, and the, and the tech does not need to be difficult either, does it? There's there's a very low there's a very low barrier to entry these days to create video content. Yeah, we've pretty much all got great video cameras on our phones now, so yeah, it's all very possible. Before we just end up completely going into the world of video, um, I'm going to take <laughs> you back to mobile because I know a lot of this is going talk about mobile, talk about mobile. Please talk about mobile. Um, you mentioned the fact that now lots and lots of e-commerce sites are so heavily uh, mobile traffic focused. Have we now reached the point where we should be expecting similar conversion rates on desktop and tablet, or or is it still normal in inverted commas to expect the mobile conversion rate to be lower? It depends a bit on what you you're selling. Um, the more expensive the product you're selling, and the more sort of fiddly, I think there'll always be that want to go and do it on desktop. So. If you're selling complex services or things like holidays or things where there's several bit several bits of customization to do, and you only really need to buy it once, then I think we get you're going to always see the conversion rate be higher. And if you're selling things that for some reason are specific to to desktop, like one thing I've been working with recently is a web hosting company, and so it's very much the e-commerce model, but it's something that people just do on their desktop. Maybe this might change in the future, but for now, 
that's how it is. Whereas if you're selling relatively cheap things, relatively, you know, commoditized things, anything around fashion, increasingly people are very comfortable with just like buying it quickly. So the cheaper you are, the more you would expect those uh, conversion rates to be equal, if not potentially higher, because just you can make the checkout process even quicker on mobile now with the likes of if you integrate with the likes of apple pay or android pay checkout becomes painless you know it's just a tap and uh, you've got everything so that's become more appealing than waiting to go onto a desktop gosh i hadn't thought of it that way i well i'd thought about the fact that apple pay and android pay and all the rest of them are making it easier and they're like finally mobile payments is not a painful thing to do but it hadn't occurred to me that they could make it so easy that the conversion rate would be higher than it is on desktop i think we're going to see that and i think for some certain very certain categories and certain sites we're possibly already there it's one of those things that's kind of yeah depends but it's always often at this stage of where we are right now there's often room for improvement on mobile than most sites i find another example of that is um filtering so when well i say the one other area where the desktop experience is still superior is when you're on a product listing page and sort of browsing through products and the way that on a desktop you've got that more space to be able to view products and often view the filters running down the left hand side say and do that kind of proper comparison browsing you know there which is a bit of a struggle on mobile and i think sites have been slow catching up with how to make mobile that bit easier to filter on often people miss the filters button and if you're not if you if you're a site with hundreds of products hundreds or thousands of products those filters are going to be really important to actually help people get to a manageable set of results that they can actually choose something from so finding ways to put them in front of users a bit easier and not just having a button that can get scrolled past and missed is becoming really important as well. So for those who are listening out there who are desperate to improve their mobile user experience and thus their conversion rate, the, the key places to look would still remain the checkout process and, and how people filter or scroll or get through the product listings? Yeah, those are two of the big hitters, absolutely. And I was going to say, and is, is there any good argument not to put in Apple Pay, Android Pay, etc.? Yeah, I think less and less so. I think the challenge is actually going to be you know, if you're selling something where you need the user to then log in later, and maybe it's, so again, a classic thing that comes to mind a lot. I've worked in travel a bit, and so holidays and travel, and say you've got tickets or anything like that. Um, in that case, the user may almost certainly is going to need to come back and log in. And so you might want to get them to create an account with you, and you might need that as a process that's a lot more important. So for those kind of sites, less so. But again, like fast sort of fashion or like commoditized things or like small items cheaper items like it's it makes total sense their address is already there they don't have to enter that like the pe- most painful thing really for users on mobile is filling in fields and filling out forms and entry and that's where they make all the mistakes so the more you can save that for them i think one of the challenges is going to be how there's going there's a potential growth in options now and it's how you display all those options to how people can pay on your site without sort of filling it with a field of but you know a ton of buttons in front of people and making sure you're picking the right ones so the first part of call is often to look at your analytics and see if you've got a particular audience well represented in mobile that you should start with whether you should start with apple and android pay and see which ones work out best for you got yeah okay cool so have we scraped have we have we covered the key points on mobile there because i know the listeners are interested in that subject so i don't want to move on if there's still you know a burning top tip we should be talking about yeah i think so i think one other is when you're on a product details page and you've got a product that has variations, so maybe size or color comes in various things. I think another thing you're seeing increasingly on sites that do this well is 
getting rid of drop down menus and you know sort of having to click on a drop down menu or tap on a drop down and then scroll through and find the right size or thing you want and you know load it and then check it's in stock like increasingly they're just being bought out as buttons so shown straight on the page so you can instantly see which sizes are in stock or which colors are in stock and if not they're kind of grayed out and that just makes all that a it's a lot easier for tap it saves the number of taps that you've got to do to get it on mobile it also benefits desktop because it's just that bit more visual plenty of sites are now doing this moving to that world seeing the likes of nike have been doing that for a while even within a long list of shoe sizes um burberry michael kors they're all good sites for doing this really nicely making that product details page that bit more mobile friendly so it's just quick to be able to tap the option and like i say see if something's in stock or not like you say i always think that's actually um a better experience nine times out of ten on desktop because you can just see at a glance you know, because a lot of us, if the size twelve's not around, we might go for the for the fourteen, or if the shoe size seven's not there, we might go for the eight. So, you know, if you really want it, you may well go for the one that's going to pinch a bit or the one that's going to be a bit loose. So, it enables customers to make those decisions. Yeah, yeah, and just remove any again where you remove taps and clicks, you're just making that process a bit easier and that bit smoother. Excellent. Okay. Um, having had a flick through the book, because I, guys, I have a copy already. Uh, one of the reasons I can tell you, you probably need one, um, is you you talk about order confirmation pages, which I I love the potential of an order confirmation page. So you're kind of preaching to the choir in terms of me, but many of our audience may well not be using their order confirmation pages as well as they could be. So do you want to tell us a bit about that, Matt? Yeah, so it's one of those areas that's obviously often last on the list, right, of things to think about when you want to improve your site. It doesn't directly seem to relate to conversions. But what it can do is a good, well-designed order confirmation page can save you on a lot of those kind of customer service questions and follow-ups and sort of, you know, customer issues and complaints they might have. You know, there's still a lot of sites out there that just present you when you bought with just like, thank you, you know, done, you'll get an email. And then back to shopping or something, as if many people are actually ready to go back to shopping. They've just paid the chance of the one action they probably aren't going to do. So thinking a lot more about what is the information that a user wants to see. Often it's like reassurance at this stage, just reassure people, show them their order again, you know, confirm, here it is, here's what you ordered, here's the address for sending it to. You know, so people are not afraid that, you know, they, everyone can have the odd moment where they think, oh, did I enter the right thing there? Did I, did I get this 100% right? So it's, it gives them a quick opportunity. If something is wrong, they could then get in touch with you straight away and like, you essentially solve it before it goes through any of the pr- process of actually getting shipped out. Uh, also, just including like the most regular FAQs. A lot of this designing this page will be around what do you know are the main customer complaints you're getting or the main uh, questions you get from customers after. And there'll often be some like key FAQs you can surface on this page and make really clear um, so that you're preempting. You know, not everyone's going to read them. There'll be some people who will always you know, get in touch or won't read something, but at least by putting it there. And if you can design it in such a clear way that you're not just chucking loads of information on there, but checking the most relevant FAQs at that point, they should be able to self-serve and help themselves. And often users these days do want to just solve it themselves. They don't want to have to go on a call or something or have to write off a long email explaining everything they've done or whatever. So, you know, where possible, try and think through how much in the future, you know, your future self will thank you because you'll be able to save yourself a lot of time on those kind of, hassles and complaints well that's the thing isn't it? it's kind of a it gives you gives you in two ways one it saves you time the time and the money of your customer services team to deal with the the questions and 
the ones that could be avoided and all the rest of it, because you can put the information right there for people and let them self-serve. But then also, because you're giving the customer a better experience, they're more likely to come back and order from you in the future. So it's kind of the starting point of order number two. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So thinking about cancellation processes and returns processes, you know, as standard things that people expect to have now. And if you've got them and you've bothered to kind of put together a good returns process, then people are going to love that and they're going to be really happy to see that you're there. And yeah, you don't don't forget about the people who become your customers because they are the ones who have converted with you already. They've done the hard step, which is becoming a customer once. You want to hang on to them. Most definitely. And Matt, another area which you which you cover in the book, which many people might not consider as part of UX, is the plethora of delivery options. We, I mean, we've got a whole load of payment options these days. We've also got an awful lot of different ways to get that product delivered to us. So have you got anything interesting you've picked up around that area? So, yeah, so I guess it's another area where I've seen growth in is around collect, order collection and kind of picking up from store, either a branded store or, you know, news agents or sort of corner shops, which is increasingly an option. I think it's one of those things that's arisen because possibly due to the over-success of the likes of Amazon, people can't, people are at work, right? And they can't necessarily get things delivered to home. And also certain work, a lot of workplaces are now getting fed up with signing for tons of parcels and packages. So now you have to look to other options. And so a delivery to a local location is becoming a more and more useful thing for people. So just one of the things to think about there is where you first introduce that. I mean, you introduce the idea, you can tell people it's something they do, but where you actually get people to make that selection. And I would tend to recommend not worrying about it until the basket stage or the checkout stage. You get what, because what can happen, there's a danger potentially in some sites who introduce this. And this is generally ones who have bricks and mortar stores and do it further up. They can start getting people to select it at the product page level or the product details page. And what you can end up with then is accidentally some users putting one product to be delivered and then another product to be picked up and end up with a complete messy sort of experience in their basket where they've click different things at different points and you end up with multiple things going on. So where possible, just present that at the basket stage to give a sort of potentially a price estimate and then go into the detail of where they're going to do it as they fill out the checkout. Um, One thing that can be useful to have earlier on is like a stock checker, but you don't have to, that can just be literally checking stock on the product page level if you have a bricks and mortar store. It doesn't have to actually allow them to do the selection at that stage. It's better to leave all the kind of, fiddly stuff around the dress or where you do it in one place so they know they've got it right at one location um a site that do this really well is john lewis in the uk they seem to put a lot of money into really redesigning their checkout flow and providing a really good delivery option um collection options e-commerce master plan is supported by some of the greatest companies in the e-commerce sector here's a reminder of who they are Don't waste any more time waiting in line to send mail and packages. With SendPro Online from Pitney Bowes, you can send packages and mail without leaving your office for as low as $4.99 per month. And because you're an e-commerce master plan listener, you'll receive a free 30-day trial to get started, plus a free £10 scale shipped right to your door to help you accurately weigh your packages. Save time and money no matter what you send with this new offer for SendPro Online, starting at only $4.99 per month 
per month. You can print shipping labels and stamps from your own printer, easily compare rates using the online software, gain access to special USPS savings for letters and priority mail shipping, plus track all of your shipments and get email notifications when they have arrived. Go to pb.com forward slash masterplan to access this special offer. Get a free 30-day trial and a free £10 scale to get started. That's pb.com slash masterplan. Experience the better way to ship with a free trial of Send Pro Online from Pitney Bowes. It's time for the top tips round. Okay, now after all those great top tips around the world of UX for our order confirmation pages, our baskets, our mobile activity, and of course those video tips right at the very beginning, it's time for us to now get in to the normal top tips, the top tips we do in every episode. So Matt, are you ready to do your top tips? Yeah, I think so. (laughs) marvellous okay Uh, so the book top tip first up if everyone listening to this podcast agreed to take Friday off and read a book to make their business better which book would you recommend so it's not directly e-commerce but it's one that I think is really useful I read it recently and it gave me tons of ideas it's one called Made to Stick it's by Chip and Dan Heath and it basically takes you through how to build it's a lot of it's around building brand messages that stick and sort of a bit of a formula for how to kind of create things that people are actually going to notice and stories and pictures that people are going to remember, how to kind of cut through and avoid kind of waffle and kind of come up with something that's actually going to be meaningful. It gave me a lot of inspiration. And it's like you cannot do UX if you don't have a copy of that book on your bookshelf, in my in my mind. Yeah, it definitely goes hand in hand. The two do complement each other well. Yeah, it's just it's a fundamental bellwether book, I suppose. It's it should should always be there, shouldn't it? Okay, the traffic top tip then: which marketing method do we the prize above all others or think doesn't get the press it deserves? It's a, probably an obvious one, but one I think, from my point of view, is just the sort of benefits of creating content and SEO. So I, you know, I don't have an e-commerce business myself, but I have my own business, and I write content and what I just do I try and be disciplined every week write a blog article and put something out there and just it's one of those things that takes time to build the benefit up but over time if you write a decent piece and you link to it and even just interlinking your own site well you start to see the SEO benefits of that and you just over time just see I've slowly seen my kind of traffic build up and build up and it's kind of one of those things that will always give you benefits in the long run another excellent piece of advice okay the tool top tip maybe a collaboration tool a social media plugin a phone app or just a way of working is there a cool little tool you use that makes you and your team more efficient from day to day um so one tool that i guess i couldn't live without is one called wonderlist it's a fairly simple to do app and I just spend my life kind of on the desktop app and the mobile app between that. Like any time I think of something that he's doing, it just goes on there. And then it's just out of your mind and not to worry. And then I'm constantly, when I'm at work on my desktop, I'm kind of rejigging it constantly, like thinking about, you know, trying to make my, optimize my week, I guess. So it's a fairly, it's been around a little while, app, but it does everything I need in a to-do list app. Nice. Then the growth top tip. If you met someone today who's focused on growing their e-commerce business from 100 orders per month to 1,000, what would be your number one tip for them? So I guess for this, I have to say something around UX design as it's kind of the area I'm in. (laughs) Um, And I guess if you've still not done it before, one of the most amazing ways to see what people actually do on your website is to run a user test. There are plenty of uh, pay-as-you-go user test tools out there. And just the ability to see people moving through your site and behaving as real people do and not behaving how you assumed they might um, 
gives you so much insight into how you actually need to think about how your message is coming across and how people are seeing your products. So some of the pay-as-you-go tools, there's one called User Feel, um, which isn't that cheap, but has quite a lot of options of customization on it. It's like $50 to $100 per test, depending on um, which platform, um, which device you're using. If you're really on a budget, there's one called userbob.com, which you can get five users doing a five-minute test of your site uh, for $25. Um, and I've written a bit in the past about how to do good tests and write good test tasks, but they're just to start with, you don't have to worry about that. Just start with the simplest task, which is go and buy a product on my site and just watch people how they get on trying to buy a product. Simple as that. Excellent. Matt, before we say goodbye, could you please let the listeners know where they can find you and your business on the web and social media, please? Yeah, so I'm uh, Matt Ish. Um, mattish.com is my website. Sorry, M-A-T-T-I-S-H.com. That's where you can find uh, my website. And I'm, like I say, weekly publishing UX design articles largely focused around uh, e-commerce as well. Um, on Twitter, I'm at Ishmat, so that's kind of a reverse of my URL. And also, if you uh, want a copy of my book, you can get it uh, on Amazon. All the sort of print, Kindle, audio stuff are on Amazon. Um, however, if you want the full illustrated print version as a PDF, that's on my site at matish.com. And if you use the code MASTERPLAN, you can get 30% off that as well. So that'll be available for, I don't know, about a week or so after this podcast comes out. I'll make that offer available. That's very generous of you. Thank you very much, Matt. And um, thank you once again for coming on and giving us such clarity into the world of UX and what we should be doing to improve our websites and our conversion rate. It's much appreciated. So um, thank you, Matt. No worries. It's been fun. So nice to catch up with Matt again there and to find out what he's up to and what he's learned over the last couple of years in the world of UX, which some great tips in there about how to improve your mobile conversion rates and around video. So I think video needs to be needs to be on that to-do list, needs to be something you're thinking about because it looks like there's um, it's going to become ever something that customers expect to find on your site. To get your hands on all the tips that Matt shared and the links to the book and details of related episodes, then head over to ecommercemasterplan.com forward slash podcast. We are on a mission to spread this podcast to as many listeners as possible because the more people we can help, the happier I get. Um, So if you are enjoying the show and you're listening on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, then please do fill in um, a review on there for us because that helps us get get the show in front of ever more people. And if you're not on Apple or iTunes, then please do share the fact the show exists with your e-commerce friends, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, over a coffee, whatever form it takes, spreading the word is always good, good news to me. Have a great week and keep optimising. Thank you for listening to the e-commerce master plan podcast. Find out more at ecommercemasterplan.com slash podcast.